Hello and welcome to the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is the podcast where I review a comic book new or old from my collection and rate it on the factors of the cover art, interior art, plot, and enjoyability of the book on a scale of 1 to 5. And then I tell you to get it or shred it. This week I'm reading What If Dark Spider-Gwen number 1, published in 2023 by Marvel Comics. For the video version of the podcast, head on over to youtube.com slash vmcampos. And if you want to support the show for $3.33 a month, head on over to patreon.com slash vmcampos. Now on with the show. Now on these reviews, I usually do a background information sort of thing as I browse the book for a moment. But what is there to say about one of the most famous comic books of all time? And now with Gwen Stacy being more famous than ever in various ways, especially for Spider-Gwen. Yeah, what is there to say? So this is basically a series of What If books. The venerable What If series started in the 70s over at Marvel Comics, showing different realities, different multiverses, different outcomes of different plots in the world of the Marvel Universe. Now, things get really muddled when you've got a what if of a what if and a multiverse and all of that, because just by this cover, what if Dark Spider-Gwen? Like, what is this even about? This is kind of an alternate, alternate retelling of what if Gwen Stacy didn't die in the original plotline. Spoiler alert, Gwen Stacy died in the original Spider-Man continuity. And this is just another retelling of that. Now, what gets it muddled is that there's already been the Earth-65 Spider-Gwen, that she became the spider character of her dimension when Peter Parker didn't. Now, in that one, he became the lizard and a whole bunch of other interesting stuff happened. This one follows a little bit closer to the original plot line of the death of Gwen Stacy in Amazing Spider-Man 121 that people often say ushered in the Bronze Age of comics with more mature plot lines and the like. And this is the 2023 interpretation of what if things had happened differently. And that's what I'm reading this week. And so we'll start with the cover art. All right, first of all, I got the variant cover, the Rose Besh variant cover, because I love Rose Besh's art. Her art is so cool. It's so cartoony. It's got an anime style. It's got a luminous quality. It's often got these really thick lines that you just don't see. It kind of sometimes feels also like graffiti style. And that is so cool, so enjoyable. So I love this hot pink cover. Just Gwen Stacy, Spider-Gwen, a.k.a. Ghost Spider, flipping through the air, about to web you up. Now this actually is false advertising because we never see this Spider-Gwen in the comic. This is again about the muddled nature of this book that it's not Spider-Gwen that we know, that we've known for the last several years from the, you know, Edge of Spider-Verse movie and all of that stuff, and more importantly, the comics. So we never see this outfit at all in the book, but it's still a really cool, fun, eye-catching cover in Rose Besh's style. Now, if I want to nitpick it slightly, so we have this empty space on the side here, and then her finger way too close to the edge. Should have been centered a little bit more. That's a slightly awkward crop right there, or maybe just because of the croppings, different uh, printings have slightly different croppings and minus slightly off center there. Tell me about it if you got your own copy and then the finger isn't going off the edge of the page. So that should have been moved over slightly over. 
And so anyway, it's a really, really good cover. I love Rose Besh's art. This is an automatic five out of five. Interior art is interesting because the first art that you see is some vintage Spider-Man art from the 70s. We've got John Romita Sr. and Gil Kane art on the original Amazing Spider-Man number 121. And it's kind of a shock to have the modern style of art and then suddenly vintage style. And the problem also is that vintage art just doesn't look good anymore in modern paper. Obviously, vintage art on vintage paper looks amazing. But the bright, white, glossy style of modern comics just doesn't work with the vintage flat colors from back in the day. After we have this reprint of the original comic and then the what if portion, we then come to the modern art, which is jarring when you have the very simple colorization, the flat colors that was du jour for decades in the world of comics. And then we've got the modern colorization where we can actually do gradations easily, colored lines easily, where we could add special effects easily. It's quite a change from the original. It would have been really interesting if we took the original line work and then added modern colorization to that original line work. That would have been really interesting because as it is, it's, it's, a, it's a big jarring thing to go from this vintage art to this modern art. And me, someone that loves the whole range of history of comics, I love it. I love seeing the original art plus the modern art. But for a modern audience, I fear that the modern audiences would look at this grandpa art right here and scoff. Maybe you have to jazz it up once in a while and do modern colorization with the original line work. But anyway, if we jump over to the credits, we've got Ramon F. Box as the artist, D. Cunife as the colorist, and Ariana Mayer as the letterer. In the modern stuff, I was going to say that they didn't credit the original artists for their uh, original work, but actually it's kind of down here. Special thanks. Jerry Conway, Gil Kane, John Romita, Tony Mortillard, Artie Simic, and David Hunt. So they do get their due here a little too small. They should have put it in uh, with the actual vintage art. But um, so that's the creative team right there. Ramon Box doing everything basically. So pencils, inks, and maybe some of the special effects of things, or that's up to the uh, colorist. So uh, this is uh, some modern style of art that ranges from very enjoyable to slightly off the mark for me on some of the art. I really like the cartoony modern style of it and on other parts it falls a little bit flat here and there. And I guess that happens sometimes when it's a very dense comic book, you have to tell a big story in one issue. So nowadays with multi-issue plots, with multi-series crossovers, you feel like you can never get a sense of a story. And this is all self-contained in one issue, which could be a jumping off point for future issues, but even in the in the one book, I think it works very well. And as I'm browsing around a little bit here, you get a, you get a variety of panel layouts, so interesting ways to uh, see the story. Two panels here, center panel here. Colorization really focuses you on the characters. Here we have that classic technique, which I'm forgetting what it's called, but this technique of showing the character in multiple points of time in the same panel, that's got a specific name. Tell me in the comments if you know what it is. I'll probably put it on the screen here unless I got lazy. 
And so we have a variety of camera movements here. We've got a nice close-up of Gwen and Harry Osborne. This framing is really nice here. Harry's about to leave. Gwen is despondent. Now, this one right here really got me in the feels, seeing Gwen suit up as Spider-Man, but in a slightly different motif, but just putting on that mask like that with a face of determination. I love that panel. We even have some halftone dots and a bit of a gradient. I love that panel. And then we get the reveal. Wow. This really kind of gets me in terms of, okay, so if you watch this channel long enough, you know that Spider-Man is my favorite superhero of all time. I was indoctrinated into the web slinger way back in 1987 when I was nine years old and I'll never give him up through the ups and the downs. And so to see different people take up the mantle of Spider-Man just always gets me right in the feels. Here we've got Gwen dressed up as Spider-Man, but with slightly differentness, of course. We've got these little boots, the Gwen Stacy boots, and then the, um, the Gwen Stacy overcoat that she would wear at the time. Now, I like the female characters when they've got flowing hair. That's my thing, I guess. And uh, it's, it's a little weird when you don't see the flowing hair on these masked characters. But don't think too hard. Where does that hair go when they put on the mask if it's not flowing? So anyway, she's got the mask on, no flowing hair. And she wears the Spider-Man costume very well, which either means that Peter Parker has a really girly body or that Gwen Stacy has a really manly body. <laughs> either way, it works. There's a really nice page turn, page reveal here with, again... Splashes of simple colorization with basic computer colorization with some of these highlights and the like. Then we've got cross-hatching and textures and the like. Flat colors, shading colors, um, uh, some good reliance on just simply black. We don't just see black ink like we used to in the old days as much. And it's just a really nice full page here. Overall, the art is very enjoyable. As we're browsing the book here, as I said, we have all of these panel layouts here. We have a, on top of a building, learning to web swing. And uh, maybe we get a nope on that. We get this very subtle expressions in the uh, spider mask, which is always cool to see throughout the various decades of Spider-Man. Even that expressionless mask can do expressions. So I'm really enjoying this interior art. This is one of these examples where it's a very cartoony style that I like a lot. And when they appear, they, they really stand out. They're really nice. And I'm still freaked out about the Osborne family hair. I'll never get over it. So yeah, I'll give this art a 5 out of 5. Even though there's some speed bumps here and there like this one, I don't love this expression here. It looks a little slightly off. And Mary Jane also looks slightly off here. But when we've got a nice close-up here, a panel layout like that, this is very enjoyable interior art. 5 out of 5. All right, so the plot. We have the original Jerry Conway story that started off the original book. Spider-Man battling Green Goblin. He's a little bit under the weather, so he's kind of sluggish. He's trying to muster all up all, all his strength. I, I always love these little sparklies when Spider-Man's kind of out of commission. And then so, I got you, Goblin, but nope, not, not really. And that's when Goblin fights back and tosses Gwen off of the bridge. And we all know what happens there. Gwen Stacy dies. But what if things had happened differently? What if instead of Spider-Man shooting out his web, he himself dives towards Gwen, cradles her safely, and then deploys the web? Okay, she's going to get saved. But wait a minute, Goblin is still around. So Peter is distracted, and he gets a vicious smash to the head there against concrete, holding Gwen, falling from the top of the bridge, smashing his head, falling into the water, 
Gwen is the one that lives, realizes what's going on. Hey, Spider-Man, saving me. And who's Spider-Man? It's Peter. So you have to realize that secret identities were so important, of course, uh, through the world of comics. And so Gwen and no one knew basically that Peter was Spider-Man. So here she's seeing it for the first time. Goblin knew because that was a big reveal at that point. So you might think, okay, well, well, the secret will be revealed. Now, this is comic book logic. Uh, Gwen happened to strip Peter basically uh, before the cops showed up somehow and no one is confused why is Peter Parker half naked in the river. But anyway, she um, strips him, keeps the mask there, and Peter dies in this reality. Peter Parker dies. Everyone is despondent, of course. Flash Thompson, Robbie Robertson, J. Jonah Jameson, and Mary Jane. So I have to admit, this really got me in the feels. Even though the original plot of Amazing 121 was a little before my time, obviously, as a Spider-Man fan, I've read it. I read it eventually. I enjoyed it. It's part of the mythology, one of the most important plot lines in Spider-Man. So to see a different interpretation of it, that he sacrificed himself for his love, he paid the ultimate price for it, and the grief that he leaves behind, the questions that he leaves behind, I love that plot point. We diverge into, and so she's in her grieving process, he's at Peter's uh, Peter's room, and uh, she's she's getting thoughts of revenge. Uh, the man she loved was killed by this supervillain and she wants to take up the mantle of Spider-Man herself. And like I said here, I love this sequence and then the reveal. But she's not a superhero. She's not super powered. She has no training. She She's just a regular person. So you might think triumphantly, yeah, she's going to become the new Spider-Girl, Spider-Man, Spider-Person, Spider-Totem, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Ghost, whatever. And actually, nope can't do it. I'm just a regular person. I need help. So she's gonna rely on Harry Osborn, who she reveals to him. He was Spider-Man. Peter was Spider-Man. He's, of course, shocked. No one knew the secret. He decides to help. She's going to lay a trap for the Green Goblin and handle it her way, which might mean a very permanent way. After all, her father, Captain Stacy, was a police officer she still has his peace, and maybe this is the only way to bring justice to the tragedy. Goblin falls for it, so he's got to deal with Spider-Man again. So yeah, the trap works overall. We get the Goblin trapped up in some webbing, and then Spider-Man reappears. Now, here's kind of subtle. Uh, in this part of the outfit, we have this little bit of extra design on the lower half of the outfit, where at the beginning part it didn't have that. And that's just one of these like little nitpicky nerd things, which of course is very important. Uh, but it didn't have that design in the beginning. Now, it is a slightly different outfit too, because uh, we have the, um, which looks kind of like a belt and then the, the bottoms right there. So it's just kind of fun to see a slightly different version of the spider outfit, especially when it's on a girly character. That's always fun. So Gwen is going to exact her revenge and she tells herself, I just got to think of what I've lost. I've got to think about the the silly genius that I lost, that everyone lost, the hero that we lost. But you can't do it, of course. Murder is murder, even when it's a villain, even when they deserve it. What do we want, vengeance or justice? She can't do it, but someone else can. Someone else can take out that monster, can stop his reign of terror, and who is it? His own son. So that's a twist upon a twist. 
which begins another origin story. Harry blames Gwen, and an already unstable family line becomes even more so. So yeah, this is a one-and-done comic that ties together a lot of the plots of the original with brand-new what-if stories. In one particular issue, we could have more stories, of course. This is very enjoyable. Oh, I forgot to mention, so in the original plot, there was Jerry Conway, but in the new, it's Jody Hauser as the uh, script of the, of the new plot. And Jody does a lot of great writing in the world of comics. And so here we have this side story, this little diversion of what if things had happened differently, which I found very enjoyable. It has these great beats and the final lines. Maybe she wasn't ready to call herself a hero just yet, but she was finally stepping out of the shadows of her darkest day. And that culminates in the what if dark plot, which I'll give a five out of five. I enjoyed the twists and turns of this plot. I was glued to my seat to read what is going to happen next. And I was satisfied with the conclusion and a little hint of a possibility of the future. So I'll give the plot a five out of five. The enjoyability of the book, I'll just jump to it. This is another five out of five. I really enjoyed this book. I like the original vintage art. Contrasting with the new modern art, enhanced by the modern page layouts and story. Again, some of these reveals. I need that on my wall, or maybe this one's a cool poster here too. So it's a very, very enjoyable book. I like that it's just one and done. No multi-comic crossover that goes on a little too long. Again, the Rose Besh art is amazing. And so it adds up to a great sum of its parts. Enjoyability, five out of five. Should you get it or shred it? Well, of course, get it, run and get it. This is a brand new comic that debuted recently. There were a few variant covers. I don't know if you can get the Rose Besh cover anymore, but the regular cover is a pretty cool Greg Land cover. You get a little bit of a sense of it right here. So it's kind of the opposite that Gwen lives and Spider-Man dies. And again, false advertising. We still have the Spider-Gwen uh, outfit here, which we never see in the storyline. So yeah, this is a brand new comic that debuted recently. Definitely get it. And that was my review of What If Dark Spider-Gwen number one. Published in 2023 by Marvel Comics. What did you think? Did you also get your heartstrings pulled by this comic? Did you enjoy an alternate history of Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man? Do you want to see more of this timeline? Have you read any of these other What If Dark stories? Tell me in the comments. Did you watch the video version? Head on over to youtube.com slash vmcampos and watch it for yourself. And if you enjoyed the episode, then head on over to patreon.com slash vmcampos and pledge. For $3.33 a month, you can help the channel, you can keep it funded, you can keep it going, you can be a part of it. What a deal. If you can't quite pledge at the moment, no worries. Simply like, comment, share, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Help me go viral. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this latest episode. Tell me in the comments. Should I review more Spider-Gwen-focused comics? Tell me in the comments. In the meantime, this has been the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club, and I'll see you next week.